0: This provides for us an understanding of Christian science as a liberating theology that is relevant to the spirit of liberation that the circle is so much engaged in.
1: Hello, I'm Jonathan Eder, host of Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Bakerty Library in Boston. What you were just listening to were comments from Dr. Telesia Musili. Kenya coordinator for the Circle of Concerned African Women Theologians. In this episode, Dr. Musili offers perspective on the life work of two pioneering black African women practitioners and teachers of Christian science, Jeannie Dove of Ghana and Dorothy Mobani of South Africa. Musili considers how their life stories and contributions align with the ideals and mission of women theologians from across Africa that work in the organization of which she is a part, the circle of concerned African women theologians. So we also have with us authors of biographical essays on these key figures in Christian science history in Africa. Mike Hamilton will be speaking about his work on Jeannie Dove. It's great to have you, Mike. Thank you. It's a
2: privilege to talk about Jeannie Dove and to listen and learn.
1: And first of all, just a little bit about you, Mike. You are executive manager here at the Mary Baker Eddy Library, and your article on Jeannie Dove appears as part of the library's Women of History web series, which is dedicated to women with undertold or untold stories of connection with Christian science. And Mike, I was also privileged to be present when you gave another version of your work on Jeannie Dove. This was at the American Academy of Religion and Society of Biblical Literature annual meeting in 2023 in a session provided for by the Women's Caucus there. And I remember how well-received your presentation on Jeannie Dove was, uh, listening to the oohs and ahs as people took in her story. And also with us is Allison Lazar, Senior Manager, Research and Collections at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Allison will be speaking about her research and writing on Dorothy Mobani. Thank you, Allison, for the breadth and depth of your article on Mobani. And that is also part of the library's Women of History series. Welcome, Allison.
3: I'm so glad to be here, Jonathan. Thank you. It's been Such an honor to get to know Dorothy Mabani's story, and I'm so glad to share it a little.
1: Yes, we're going to get into it. You know, one of the qualities, Allison, about Dorothy Mabani that came out in your paper was her self-identification as a spiritual activist. That really uh, struck me. And it's great to be with you, Dr. Telesia Musili. In addition to your work with the Circle of Concerned African Women Theologians, you are a lecturer in the Department of Philosophy and Religion at the University of Nairobi. It's such a privilege to welcome you to Seekers and Scholars. Welcome, Telesia.
0: Thank you for having me. Thank you.
1: Telesia, we were just noting the theme of spiritual activism— That concept is so much a part of your work with the Circle of Concerned African Women Theologians. I've loved learning about the circle, its history, its inauguration through the vision of its founder, Mercy Amba Aduyoye, a prominent black African theologian. Telsi, would you tell us a little bit about the circle and its vision? As
0: you are aware, I am coordinating the Kenya chapter, the circle, is a pan-African academic network of women researchers, mostly clergy, women theologians, and religious leaders, interacting with issues relating to religion and theology. And this was a vision of the founder, Masi Abba Odioye, mm. in the year 1989, she said that the voices of women have been silenced. Mm-hmm. And the theology that Western theologians and male African theologians were pushing forward was like a one-winged bird unable to soar higher. And she brought about issues to do with inequality. Mm-hmm in terms of gender, race, class, and the like. But within her vision, she had an idea that within the theology that she was experiencing and she intended to propagate as a balanced theology was a theology where we were equals by virtue of meeting with Christ the liberator, the transformer, who is, according to our mother, from whom life and equal life flows. Mm -hmm. And so she identifies power structures, hierarchical, patriarchal structures that she argues were unfounded. Right. Because by virtue of being created in God's image and likeness, we were equal before our Creator.
1: Thank you, Telesia, for that insight into the founding vision and purpose of the circle. Of... It's going to be fascinating to see how the contributions and stories of these two Christian Science Women Practitioners in Africa fit into and align with the concerns of your organization. You know, maybe I'll start with you, Allison, about Dorothy Mobani and her sort of unique story. You know, how does it intersect with the other sort of significant movements in Africa in her time and all that she would have experienced and and contributed to?
3: Dorothy Mobani was born in 1943 and passed in 2004. So that gives us a sense of her time range. And she was not actually born into christian science okay when she first got married her husband moses had just recently come into christian science and at first she was kind of skeptical about it mm-hmm. until she had her first healing of a oh. swollen ankle and i think that's really what struck her about christian science was the practicality was the applicability of christianity to real life situations mm-hmm. and that became a focus for the rest of her life and she applied christian science and its method of healing not just to things like swollen ankles or physical ailments but as you said earlier she she considered herself a spiritual activist she saw Religions. She saw Christian science as a practical way to address the injustice that she saw in South Africa. Mm -hmm. I, I should mention she was born and raised in Pretoria, South Africa, under apartheid.
0: Right.
3: And she was really able to use Christian science as a way to break down color walls as well as anything that would seem to separate people. She had a very ecumenical spirit. She loved everybody.
1: That was a a line in your article that really um, struck me. She said something to the effect of, if I can't love people, I can't heal. Correct. You know, I remember from your article, Allison, that coming to that expansive place of love was not something that came about easily for Dorothy Molle. Bonnie. There was testing. There was challenge in her experience. I'm thinking about the kind of treachery that she and her husband faced around trying to be black South Africans in the white South African business world during the time, still in the time of apartheid.
3: What happened was Moses Mabani, her husband, wanted to get into corporate banking, which was not a thing that any black South Africans had experience with. So he brought on two white men to help them get that part of the the business started. But unfortunately, these two men ended up defrauding the South African government for millions of South African rand. And as a result, the Mabani's assets were frozen and confiscated and Moses was forced out of the business in disgrace, and it was really kind of a huge news item, and Dorothy had to, to deal with all of this. Now, eventually, he was exonerated, and the truth came out that it was actually these two other guys who were responsible, but unfortunately, that wasn't until after Moses had passed. So Dorothy was left grief-stricken, impoverished, with kind of this reputation hanging over her head, and everyone, all of her friends, were just pitying her. She says in, in one of the articles that she wrote for the Christian Science Periodicals that people were worried she would become an alcoholic or something.
1: So, Allison, what did she end up doing?
3: What she did was she doubled down on her prayer. She started getting up at 3 in the morning to start praying. And just... Really turned to God and looked for comfort and direction and found both. And as a result, she also found it within her heart to forgive these two men. I mean, that's kind of an incredible thing to forgive people for that kind of destruction that they wrought on her life. But she was invited to visit them in prison. That right there is highly unusual. A black woman to go into a prison with white male prisoners in South Africa in the the 80s? No. (laughs) Uh, But she was invited, and she was supposed to stay for 30 minutes. She ended up staying for three hours. The warden brought her tea, and she had this really healing conversation with the two men and assured them of both her forgiveness, but also her whole family's. And when they were released, she invited them over for a barbecue, and the families became friends, and the men would come over and help out around the house. And she credits it all to God and to prayer through Christian science.
1: Yeah, Allison, it was interesting looking at your paper and thinking about interracial relations as it applied to Mobani's experience. If you could just talk a little bit about you know, her evolution of, of thought in terms of you know, relationship with white Afrikaners as well as with you know, other whites in, in South Africa. How was that issue significant for her in developing her outreach, her mission, if you will, as a, as a Christian scientist, as a practitioner teacher of Christian science?
3: At one point, she described herself as, I suffered discrimination because of my skin color, my race, my sex, my religion, my inability to speak the language of the governing power, and what I felt was my being deliberately assessed as either not qualified or overqualified for a job. But learning about Mabani, her story is just so full of, healings Mm -hmm. and demonstrations of God's love.
1: You know, I'm wondering, could you choose a couple of these healing experiences that speak to the societal issues that Telesia was discussing?
3: Very early on, after she had come into Christian science, Dorothy was having a lot of trouble finding work, and she was working with a Christian science practitioner, and it came out that she really hated Afrikaans that's the language of the Dutch colonists, Afrikaans. Mm-hmm. She just hated it. She saw it as the language of the oppressor, and she wanted nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And the practitioner identified this as an opportunity for healing. And it turned out that she ended up being offered a job that was with an Afrikaner company. Mm-hmm. And she she struggled with that idea, but she took the job, and she says, while working for this company, I learned to see the Afrikaner as a child of God, loved by him like those of my own race. I exchanged hatred for love. I was then able to see good amongst the Afrikaner people I became friends with, and I started speaking the language without prejudice. That sort of set her on the path to just seeing people as people, all God's children. And so much later on, she needed some work done around the house, and she decided not to go with a big company. I think she was getting a security system set up. She decided to go with someone who was relatively new to the field. She thought he could probably use a leg up. He happened to be a white man, And as he was doing the work in her house, he mentioned that he had been a soldier in a particular area that really gave her pause. Mm -hmm. When he mentioned it, she said, but that's the area where some of the worst atrocities were committed against my people. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, that's true. And she really had to sort of sit with that for a moment, but she forgave the young man for whatever it was he did. He had been struggling with nightmares ever since leaving the army, and he had been really kind of racked with guilt. After his conversation with her, he went home, he called his priest, he called his family together, he confessed everything, and the next time she saw him, she said he was a completely changed man. He no longer had this spirit of heaviness about him. He seemed light and free, like a whole person again.
1: It's wonderful to, to hear that account. telesia yeah, I'm just curious, when you hear a story like Dorothy Mobani's, And then you think of your work with the Circle of Concerned African Women Theologians. How does it connect with decolonialism, how it relates to, you know, issues around race, issues around finding a kind of way out of the tensions and the history of oppression that did exist, often along racial lines?
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Jonathan and Alison, for, you know, highlighting Dorothy Maubane's uh, story. I am just so passionate about, you know, the silent voices of women unknown to us Mm. and the contributions that they made in their own spaces. I love the circle of concerned African women theologians, one, because... They deal with theological tenets using women's lived experiences. Mm. And storytelling, orality become tools of navigating the challenges that women in Africa face. Right. And so for me, it becomes quite a practical theology, a practical engagement with. Christian faith and Christianity, so to say. And so I lean mostly on the theologies of African women and their concepts of talitha kum amenutics. And talitha kum means calling to life. And we get this from the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 41, right. where Jesus raised a deceased girl saying, you know, Talitha Kumi, which translates to maiden, I say, and to see arise. Right. And this is the spirit within which the circle of concerned African women theologians look at stories of notable women like Dorothy. Right. Calling out to life on issues to do with inclusivity, dealing with racism. Bringing out values of love.
1: Right. Beautiful.
0: Forgiveness and healing. Yeah. This is a response to the struggles that poor women struggle with in their day to day lives. It's not about medical cover, it's about the pain, it's about the repressions that display themselves in different faces, either a sick body, no food, no school fees. And so any other results or strategy that women would use to alleviate themselves from these challenges is calling to life, mm-hmm. is embracing a liberating tenet that, you know, regardless of what it is that's could press you down, then you have a solution that you know, points to your faith, points to Christianity, points to whatever it is that would alleviate that repression, then I would think that this is a practical way of theologizing. And it is decolonial in the idea that you're using your life's experiences to interact with what it is that you are confronting in your day-to-day life. And this is an outstanding characteristic of a theology, of naming, of challenging, of navigating oppressive issues that we encounter in our daily lives. And this is what Dorothy does.
1: So, Mike, when you hear Telesia's account of these foundational principles about how the circle of concerned African women theologians think about the relationship of these lived experiences, really the kind of lifeblood of a practical theology to communities, the demonstration, if you will, of God, of spirit in our lives, it makes me think of your paper on Jeannie Dove. It was titled Jeannie Dove of Ghana, Because You Have Me, You Have Everything— would love to learn about her life experience and then the theological understanding that came out of it.
2: I'd love to share a little bit of it. Jeannie Dove, born in 1917, she lived to the end of the 20th century to 2000. And so her life was intertwined with Ghanaian independence in the 1950s. She also came from a privileged background in some ways. Her father was a lawyer. Uh, She lived for a time in England. So she had exposure to uh, the wider world that perhaps gave her a you know a unique perspective in some ways. But it's clear from what I've read by her and about her that her home was Accra, Ghana. That's mm-hmm. where she felt she belonged. After her sojourn in in London, she was from a Methodist and Anglican background. She said she was raised in a, a religious home. She knew the Bible. But she was a questioner and a seeker, I think it's fair to say. She worked as a journalist. She worked as a dressmaker. She was married briefly, but in a very difficult situation. And in all this, she said that she knew that there was a truth to be found in the Bible, and when she would find it, she would know it. (laughs) And her encounter with Christian science was that finding And the words that you mentioned, because you have me, you have everything, they came to her, she said, just before she fell asleep one night. This was after she'd encountered Christian science and decided to really commit her life to it. She wanted to have primary class instruction in Christian science. An important step in the development of someone who is uh, committed to the teachings of the religion And it's offered yearly by authorized teachers of Christian science in different locations around the world. And in those days, that kind of instruction was not available anywhere near her. It was available in South Africa, it's true. But she was intent on going to England, where she had lived before. She'd found a teacher who had accepted her, but she had no way to get there. (laughs) And she said the thought came to her one day to sell everything in her house and to thus raise funds for her travel. She did that, but that night after she'd had that idea, it sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it, from the Gospels, sell all that you have and give to the poor. For her, I think the sell all you have was the furniture, but the give to the poor for her was the idea that she would then be equipped to practice spiritual healing to the benefit of people around her. Falling asleep one night, a thought came to her. She felt from God, because you have me, God, you have everything. And she said when she woke the next morning, the first thought that came to her was that one. She did follow through, and she did go to England and took that formative step.
1: Mike, is there anything you can share about the impact of primary class instruction in Christian science on Jeannie Dove in her subsequent work in Ghana?
2: One of the accounts that I read in the files of the Mary Baker Eddy Library was a brief statement by someone who had known her for some time and remarked on the change that had come over her when she returned from England. He said... Prior to taking class instruction, she, Dove, not unusually, considered herself a person in the privileged class. And that was because of her father's status as a lawyer. However, she is now very approachable and in humbleness and meekness, he says, willing to help any who approach her. So. Dove's own rebirth was as important as anything because it made her step out of her place in a colonially created hierarchy of privilege and step really into the mainstream of the life of a new nation in the way that she could contribute. That she did for. Uh, about 30 years until the time of her death. And uh, she wrote, she was active in the upbuilding of her local church in Accra. But I think most notably, she worked with people who needed help. May I read an account that was submitted by someone who had witnessed one of her healing activities with someone in need?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: This was an affidavit that was filed by a Ghanaian woman who knew Dove. My washman's boy, who had rheumatoid arthritis since his childhood, had treatment from various medical doctors without getting permanently cured. It reached a stage where the doctors announced that there was nothing more they could do for him. When I heard of his case... He could only get out of bed supported and could take just a few steps at a time. I talked to his father about Christian science healing. The woman who'd filed the affidavit had come in contact with Christian science herself and and knew Dove. And she continues, and on a Tuesday afternoon took them both to Miss Jeannie Dove for treatment, Christian science treatment through prayer. The following Friday, the boy was able to walk a distance of more than a mile from his home to mine, and to do my laundry. (laughs) His swollen joints were back to normal, and his twisted fingers had straightened out. It is two years since this healing took place, and now he is very healthy-looking and cheerful and so thankful to God. I think it's worth pointing out that to Dove, this kind of effect, while perhaps remarkable, was what was to be expected of followers of Christ Jesus. She had also learned through her instruction that this was not a uh, supernatural gift to her personally, but that it was the result according to Christian science, of a growth in spiritual understanding and an application of what she would have understood as spiritual
1: laws. Mike, hearing about Dove makes me want to go back to the time when you gave your paper at the American Academy of Religion and Society of Biblical Literature annual meeting. What's typical at these sessions is to have a response given to a paper. And in this case, the response to your paper came from Dr. Esther Mombo. She is a professor in the theology department at St. Paul's University in Lemura, Kenya, and a theologian of some renown. So I'd like to read just a little bit from what she had to say about your paper on Genie Duff. Quote, mention Christian science in some religious quarters and you will be told that it is a sect. Listening to Professor Hamilton discussing Jeannie, you hear a narrative about a woman who makes a choice to step out of the Anglican and Methodist traditions of her family. The choice is made as she has to follow her heart. From a gender perspective, making a choice is a patriarchal prerogative. Jeannie breaks with this tradition. The originality of the article is in its use of the voice of Jeannie to tell her story of resilience and persistence in the midst of challenges, including being misunderstood. The theme of healing stands out and is in line with the aspects of women's theologies. So, telesia I know you, you know Professor Mambo. When you hear that response, what sort of calls out to you?
0: Thank you so much, Jonathan and Michael, uh, for bringing this up. I, I do really appreciate Professor Mumpo. She's really mentored me into the circle of theology. One of the things that jumped out of our response on Michael's paper is the theology of liberation. Mm-hmm. This stands out. And the same theology, again, replays in Christian science. And as I argue it interrelates with its practice of spiritual healing. Mm -hmm. The healing theology of Christian science constitutes a distinctive liberation effort, I would say, Mm -hmm. that looks to free humanity from the burdens of diseases, of sin, of oppressive structures, and even death through a very practical spiritual methodology of prayer. Right, yeah. Which, of course, is not alien to the Christian gospel. This is the
1: practice.
0: (laughs) This is what Christianity is all about. Yeah. And so listening to Alison talk about Maubane, listening to Michael talking about Jin, this provides for us an understanding of Christian science Yes, as a liberating theology that is relevant to the spirit of liberation that the circle is so much engaged in. Mm -hmm. And to me, it is a decolonial methodology of resisting, of navigating, and of liberating ourselves of what torments us. This is a liberating theology for me, looking at it from an healing perspective.
1: Well, this has been a fabulous conversation, and I'm just so grateful to have been part of it. So thank you so much, Dr. Telesia Musili, for joining us.
0: Well, Jonathan, thanks so much for having me.
1: And thanks so much, Alison Lazar, for your industrious research on Dorothy Mobani and for being part of this conversation uh, today
3: This has been such a a joy and a privilege, thank you
1: And thank you, Mike Hamilton Just really wonderful to to have you as part of the episode and to re-engage again with Jeannie Dove
2: It's great to be able to honor her and also Dorothy
1: Mobani and to learn from them and know that there's more to learn Thank you so much for listening to this Seekers and Scholars episode on Christian Science Meets African Women Theologians. There's surely more to come on this subject of Christian science history in Africa, and we look forward to bringing that to you with future episodes down the line. In the more immediate future, we're planning episodes looking at backstories of how certain products and certain initiatives of the Christian Science Church have developed in recent years. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library, copyright 2024.